Let's go on to the scripture. Devotionally this year, I've been taking my time. Usually, I'm locked into, you know, four chapters or ten chapters, whatever the system is. I try not to vary from it. This year, I'm reading till I feel like stopping, and not going particularly fast. But I was, I've been walking through the life of Abraham, and I want to share some thoughts that probably aren't as linear as what I'm used to speaking. I usually have a, I'm heading here, and I'm going to line up the points, and this, this more or less, you'll need to grab some thoughts along the way, if you would. I'm, I'm wandering like the title of the message. Uh, I'll warn you beforehand. <laughs> yeah, you'd like that. <laughs> some, some of you are wanderers. <laughs> uh, in a good sense. The Lord gives Abraham a promise in chapter 12, verse 1. We have it written down for us. And it just says, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He gives them a few more details, but it's really not particularly specific. It's just go and then at some point I'm going to show you. So there's more definition coming. And I'd like you to note that there are times when you have a sense that God is wanting you to do something, but it's not very clear. And you can anticipate more revelation as needed, so to speak. You can anticipate that as you pursue him, he'll open things up. And regularly we see in Scripture people get a, a sense of what's to be, or they'll get a dream but they're wrestling with what, what does this mean? And I just want to suggest to you that that's not uncommon. That even in our own lives, there are times where we have a sense of this is what I'm supposed to do, but the clarity comes as we continue to pursue God. So he, he wanders off, and he's obedient to that call, and he gets into the land of Canaan, and God says, a little later in this same chapter, he appears to Abraham and says, to your offspring I will give this land. And so now there's a defining of saying, your traveling has been to this place. But what I'd like to do is, is take a look at what he does from there. It says, from there he went toward the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. He had built an altar once God says, this is your place. He goes to Bethel, uh, very close, same region. He says he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. So he's, he's honing into this, and he's worshiping God that you're faithful. You, you've done what you've promised. Been wandering. Here it is. And he's, he's, he builds this altar. And then it says, he set out and continued toward the Negev. The Negev is a desert region. Uh, apparently it gets two to four inches of rain a year. So it is, is not the place where you're going to have great gardens. Now there was famine in the land. <laughs> oh, big surprise. Uh, but what he does next is he leaves the area that God has promised to him. He goes down to Egypt. Now, I want to suggest to you, this is only a suggestion. 
I can, I can put this out and say, this is my opinion, but it doesn't specifically say this. But I'm not so sure that that's a wise decision. I think that, you know, there are times when we have this sense of the Lord on our lives and we just assume, well, I need to do whatever's necessary. In this case, he heads to Egypt. And uh, it says while he was there, the famine was severe. He's about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and let you live. Um, at that time, she's at least 65, somewhere in that range. We don't normally associate um, tremendous beauty with that. Uh, I, yeah, I'm in trouble, right? Well, it gets different. Let's, let me give you a... <laughs> Let me try to recover. <laughs> In Genesis chapter 20, he pulls the same stunt again. This is at least 10 years later, maybe 15. We don't usually associate tremendous beauty 15 years later. But a king takes her in at that point. This is the second time. This is going to happen in Egypt as well. So even though you and I may not understand that passage so well, the fact that two kings go after this woman? Um, remember the, the movie actress that uh, became queen, Monaco? You know, where, where she had, was known for her beauty and the king says, why not me? Sarah, Abraham has recognized this as something that could be life-ending for him from early on. And the reason I bring this up later is that um, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, says, why did you do this? And uh, in fact... Abimelech, I'll get to it later. I'm wandering. I warned you. Uh, as they were going from point to point, Abraham saw this as a potential problem. And so he asked her early on, will you, will you say this to people? And so Abimelech says, why would you do this? And he says, well, surely there's no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. So he's walking in fear. And he says, besides, she really is my sister and the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. She became my wife. Things were a little different back then. And God had me wander from my father's household. Says, I said, this is how you can show your love for me everywhere we go. Save me. He is my brother. So they've been carrying out this lie for years. Now, Abimelech was, the second man was warned by God. He says, you're as good as a dead man. 
because you've taken this woman as a wife. <laughs> That'll get your attention. And he says, but I haven't done anything. He says, yeah, I'm warning you. And he goes on to say, this man is a prophet. And so I want you to, to treat him nice. What's he saying? He's saying, this guy's one of mine. Being kind of stupid right now. But he's still claiming him by calling him a prophet. What I want to suggest to you is that when we come to Christ, uh, it doesn't take away the opportunity for God disciplining our lives or speaking to us or us doing dumb things. We move toward righteousness. He works in our hearts and he transforms us. But thankfully, he chooses to stamp us with his name before we're entirely cleaned up. And this is what happens with Abraham. There are some things that just aren't right regarding his life, but God is still putting this, he's a, he's a prophet. Essentially, he's one of mine. Now let's go back to Egypt. Abraham came to Egypt. The Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abraham well for her sake. Abraham acquired sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants and camels. So he is profiting off of this thing. Then finally, when it's discovered that this is his wife, Pharaoh says, just go. Get out of here. We tend to think, well, he got away with that one. Good to be Christian. Not entirely. <laughs> God doesn't let those things just slide. But he finds his own way of dealing with the issues in our life. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, his wife and everything he had, and he became very wealthy. It says from the Negev, he went to the place to place until he came to Bethel. And between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So he goes back to where he'd been. He's kicked out of one land, and he goes back to where the land that he's been promised. I was, uh, I was looking at this, and I'm going, he became a wanderer for God. But when God said, okay, here's the place, he was still a wanderer at that point. And so in some ways, for his life, he'd, he'd embraced this transition, but coming out of it took a while for it to happen. And he ends up marching out where he really doesn't belong. And you're going, well, why the, why the wandering off? You have the place. Isn't it true that there are times in our lives where maybe it's boredom, where we're, you know, we know God's brought us into a situation or a place, but it's just like, I've been doing this a long time, and, and it's, you know, I'm ready for something different. And it may be that we still need to say, but faithfulness requires that I remain as I am. It might be fatigue. You know, he's waiting for things to come about, but he's been traveling, 
And he, there is this awareness that people's aren't necess, people aren't necessarily going to just embrace a whole group coming in. Remember when he went to defend Lot, after they had separated, he had 318 trained servants that he took with him to war. So we're talking a, a big group of people traveling with him. But maybe there's a, a fear in his heart that says, how long can I live as a stranger in this area? But again, is that, is that something that can't be resolved in God? Or is that something where you just make your own way to do something different? And how often do we let fears control us and move us away from what God has promised rather than persisting in an endurance that says God is faithful to fulfill what he's promised to me? Maybe he is so familiar with wandering that he just doesn't want to change his lifestyle. Give up the tents. I like tents. I, I'm, you know, I, I know the system. This is conjecture on my part, but it's something that I'm chewing on in relationship to my own life going, okay, how often do I let things like this sway me from continuing on in a promise and calling out for more clarity and saying, God has promised this. So I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm not going to let boredom take me away from this. This is what I'm about. And I think in some measure, all of us wrestle with issues like that. Here's where the story takes a turn. He's back. He calls on the name of the Lord. God gives him more definition regarding the promise. He says, look, north, south, east, west, everywhere you can see, that's what I'm giving you. Then he tells him, go walk through the land. I want you to explore it. He's going, I'm about that. But he, he's, you know, wander it about. This is, what, this is what it is. But then there's something that happens in this story that, that draws me back to this Egypt trip. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Where did she get an Egyptian maidservant? So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I don't think that Sarah chose poorly. I think she was trying to get God's work done and fulfill a promise through her own strength. And I would guess that she chose a friend to have the baby. If it's going to carry her name, I doubt that she just said, well, anyone will do. But I bet she thought that over carefully and picked someone that, that she relied on. It was still a bad choice. But it was, it, I, I, I don't believe that it was random. I believe that she was really trying to, to carry this out. And I don't think that she was intimidated in the sense that if she's known for her beauty around the region, 
She, she's not, you know, this is one of those heartbreaking decisions for her, but I think that she was carefully trying to do something to, to fulfill a promise, but it was a bad choice. Same for Abraham. I, I mean, it's interesting to me that Hagar, when she is kicked out of the household by Sarah, she has an encounter with God. And she gets one of the names that we cling to in our understanding of who God is. She says, this is the God who sees me. One of the, the ideas that we carry of our understanding of the Lord is God sees us. But she's the one that put it into words. She gives birth to a son, and his name is Ishmael. If you're familiar with the history, much of the Muslim world traces its roots to Ishmael. And they have battled the Israelites for centuries. But this is the common core that they have with Father Abraham. It says Abraham was 86 when Hagar bore him Ishmael. A number of years later, Abraham's 99, God comes to him again and says, you're going to have this child that I promised you. And he says, I want you to start calling yourself Abraham, father of many nations. (laughs) So before the child's born, he's got to go home and tell Sarai, your name's being changed too to Sarah, mother of many. Bet that went over well. (laughs) I can't imagine. I had an encounter with God. Wants me to call you Sarah. Princess, mother of many. That would have been an interesting conversation, I'm sure. But then he goes on to say, The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The vision initially given of Go continues to get definition as the land that's going to be his. Sarah gives birth to Isaac, but what I want to take you back to again, this lying pattern that seemingly helps them get by. Isaac picks that up, and he lies about his wife. But he doesn't lie about his half-sister. He lies about his wife, said, she is my sister. Walks through a very, almost identical situation in Genesis chapter 26. So this family thing is continuing. You know where some of that gets broken off? This is really strange to me. Remember they came out of Egypt with lots of goods? And how it seems that they got away with their sin? They go back into Egypt several generations later through the lies of the sons, the grandsons, 
And their wealth is stripped away because they become slaves. So all that they had gained out of that encounter basically is lost. Now Egypt doesn't handle it right, and they are released years later with wealth again. But in the immediate, all that they had gained basically is lost when they go back. Now I want to suggest to you that God is complex enough that nothing gets left undone. In fact, when he gives Abraham the promise of Canaan, he says, your family is going to be slaves for 400 years because the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached its full measure. He says, the people living here in Canaan, they're wicked, but they they aren't done. I, I am not going to bring judgment yet. But 400 years from now, I'm going to bring you back and use you as a part of my judgment, essentially is what he's saying. So I look at that, and I, I, I'm astounded that there are a number of things. I'm astounded that stories in the Scripture don't speak of just the good side of people. But I'm astounded that God puts a stamp on them and continues to work evil out of their lives. I'm astounded that generations later, he's going to come through the, line, through the tribe of Judah. You remember Judah's story? He has his sons. They, they are evil. God puts two of them to death. He refuses the, third, the wife to the third son. And so... She deceives him and has children by Judah. So Judah essentially has two illegitimate sons that he fathered. In the line of the tribe of Judah, Jesus comes through that line. God's not bothered so much that he refuses to work in our lives. In fact, he chooses us as we are. But his goal is transformation of our hearts even so. And so I look at that and I'm going, I know that I'm in the Lord. But I'm also quite confident that he is committed to transforming me, whether I'm committed to that course or not. And for each of us, the things that we tolerate, yeah, they go on generations further sometimes, unfortunately. But... God is still committed to weeding those things out of us. And we can look at family patterns and say, well, that's what dad did, and that's what grandpa did, and that's what grandma was about. And, and, and we still have to say, but my identity, first and foremost, is in Christ, and this isn't healthy. And I need to allow him to transform me. And I also need to know that a just God does not just leave things. And it's not a picture of just escaping and saying, oh, don't know why, but I guess I'm just lucky. (laughs) I just don't see it that way. He is so awesome in all that he does and what he understands that he moves our lives toward health whether we're looking for it or not. And he is quite capable of dealing with the wickedness of our lives, even if we don't want to. 
And so what I take out of this is this sense of God is, is so wondrous that he chooses us and you know, calls Abraham a prophet in the midst of his sin and yet is willing to keep bringing this family through experiences till they're ready to give up their foolishness. Lord, help us to be aware and willing to let his work be complete in our lives as well. Help us to be honest before him, honest to ourselves, and say, this is or isn't of you. Transform me. One of the things that, uh, as a parent, in giving my kids freedoms when they were young, the goal was never to just constrain them, but to give them freedom as they could handle it. In other words, with a real little kid, you don't give them a glass until they're able to hold it, right? But once they are, you don't hold back and just say, uh, sorry, when you're five, then you get the glass. It's about the maturity, and, and even in that case, the motor skills maturing to the place where they're capable of using it. And I think maybe it's part of the training I got from my family. The first time my dad put me in a truck and said, why don't you drive this around the yard? I was seven. Uh, that's with a clutch. Uh, a, f- a few days into it, he decided <laughs> he'd wait a while. <laughs> but when we, when we reach that place of capability, then the freedom to, to do those things comes. In other words, if, if my kid can go to the neighbors and behave properly, then I feel at liberty to let him go regularly. In the same way, I feel like the Lord opens up freedoms to our lives and opportunity as we respond in the way that he sees as appropriate for us to respond. And so when we're walking forward in the vision that he has, and he says, I have this place for you, when we lock ourselves into that and say, I'm going to steadfastly pursue this and be in this place until I see the fulfillment of it. His trust rests on us and and the opportunity for freedom as we respond to that. We carry his name, we're part of his family, we're his children, but he's teaching us to grow up. Lord, let that be in our lives even now. I pray for each one here that there be that sense of relationship with you that says I'm one of his, but also the willingness to allow the transformation to be like you, to move into your righteousness, to take on a holy lifestyle pleasing unto you. Cause our faith to remain strong that we might walk righteously before you.